today are two of the deadliest duo in this league. Well, Nashville is doing the Shaffle Shuffle again this week after Nova Scotia Neymar elevated the boys in gold to a 2-1 League's Cup win. That call courtesy of our good friend Tony Husband with an assist from Ross Smith on Apple TV. And this is Club and Country, the podcast of record for Nashville SC coverage from the two people who cover the club longer than anyone in their respective disciplines. Rolling through that tagline almost too fast these days. I'm Wes Foley. And I'm Tim Sullivan, the proprietor of ClubCountryUSA.com. Big week for Nashville, uh, and a big week in Nashville. The boys in gold uh, get the 2-1 win over Colorado, get back to their winning ways. Hani gets a goal, and I went to ML Rose twice in two days. Big, big week. Whoa, that, I think that last one is, is the most notable, perhaps. I got to hand it to my cousin. She lives in northwest Arkansas, but my aunt lives here in Nashville, so she got married here in Nashville, actually on Charlotte at a lovely venue and it just happens to be four doors down from ML Rose. And that's where they had their after party uh, for the wedding. It was the best wedding reception ever. Great food, great dancing. And then ML Rose to cap it off. Are you kidding me? It was great. Yeah. Uh, you better have had everybody to say, hey, oh, yeah. So it came because of the Club and Country podcast told me to. <laughs> all these very dressed up people with beautiful garb and, and you know, all like the we had the flashing like glow sticks and glasses. But, but it was a podcast. Counting. I walked in. I was like. Welcome to my place. You guys don't know this place, but you're about to love it like I do. It was uh, it was great. But then, Tim, I went pregame before that 2-1 win uh, against Colorado. Uh, I thought there was still some shakiness in the final third in that first half. But when Hani came on, things immediately changed for this team. And I mean, immediately. Yeah, I, I, yeah, there was a little bit of an attack in the first half. Nashville just couldn't finish his chances. But uh, I'll push back a little bit because there were other moments going the other direction as well. But um, I think when you see one go into the back of the net, uh, it can raise the level of everybody. And, and when Hani's there to create chances, uh, you're going to generate some pretty good attack, believe it or not. Yeah, the, the I thought the repress was really good in the first half. I thought Nashville controlled play and did look good in the attack. But in the final third, there was just that, oh, crap, oh, crap, oh, crap. Are we going to score? Are we going to score? And then when Hani came in, it was like, oh, we're going to score. It's like yes, they were telling yes, us. Yes, yes. The answer to that question is yes. <laughs> and, and, you know, bless, you know, bless Teal. I think he still has a role to play with this club. And I really hope that he's able to find the back of the net. But another couple of frustrating moments for him. Uh, but the team needed this, Tim. How badly did Nashville need to get off the schneid and get that win at home against a Colorado team that everybody in this league would say they're better than? Yeah, I mean, in terms of, of breaking the losing streak, it's honestly not that important. It's a different competition and, and things like that, 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 that. It's not going to end an ignominious streak in league play. But when you are trying to break a losing streak, uh, you better do it against this opponent because otherwise you're not going to. And we probably uh, said the same things in advance of the Chicago game and this team did not break a losing streak then. So, uh, yes, you get back on the winning side. You get some confidence back. That's big. Uh, I don't think anybody would have wanted to wait until September 2nd against Charlotte for for kind of a should-win opponent at home. So getting it done on a Sunday evening is, is precisely what, what the doctor ordered. Yeah, I think losing would have been more harmful than winning is good. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Makes absolutely sense. Yeah. But I think the win is still is still significant. I think it 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 feels good for this team to see the ball go in the net, to get Hani back on the score sheet. Um, but losing this or even drawing this and going to PKs and whatever happened there would have I think really damaged this team's psyche against a Colorado team that was up for it. I mean, clearly they have nothing to play for this year, trophy wise, except for this. And so, you know, you show you saw some spunk from them um, after Nashville dominated the early exchanges. 
Um, in the early shout, we'll give you some gold nuggets from the win and then three things you might not know about Toluca as we get you ready for Thursday's Leagues Cup match. Uh, in the mailbag, you asked us, was Colorado the biggest win of the season? An interesting question and a good case made for it by the person who asks it. We'll get to that. Uh, we'll go to our favorite matches elsewhere in Leagues Cup. I understand uh, another player whose last name starts with M may have scored a goal in Leagues Cup action. Um, yeah, the Argentine Mukhtar. That was great. Who? Where was that graphic? Was that Apple TV that had that? Yeah, it was from Apple TV. <laughs> I don't. I I don't know if somebody doctored it or what. But God, I love state-run media. That's great. <laughs> um, also, on the launch pad, something we've never seen in NSC and NSC adjacent history. And by never seen, I mean we didn't see the match uh, because of a fun little thing that happened in Atlanta. Not so fun for those who were involved. Uh, a great show today, but it all starts where I started actually a minute ago with ML Rose uh, in in. Tim, I got to say, too, enjoyed going pregame before Colorado and running into Derek Clark. He said, hey, and we talked strategy a little bit. And then I saw him twice more at the game itself. It's kind of fun when you have these smaller crowds at Jodis Park because you feel like you're, it's a family reunion, right? You see more of the people, you know, you're more likely, I guess, you know, odds wise that the people you see, you're going to see people, you know, in that crowd. Uh, it's, it's it's the diehards that are there, but ML Rose still every bit as as crowded, uh, and it was it was really cool to uh, once again experience that pregame atmosphere. It's because the true diehards listen to us and and know that that's where you need to go before the game. So I'm glad you had that that experience. And um, <clears throat> I'm so sorry. Don't you go dying on me? <laughs> yeah, uh, I know. I'm glad you had that experience, and and that's something that we talk about is how not only are you going to to see people that you know at at ML Rose if you go before or after a Nashville SC game, but they're going to be people who are are going to the game, and you and you might see them there as well because a lot of the the diehard soccer fans have have adopted ML Rose as one of their pregame spots, and and I like to think we played a small part in that. Uh, yeah, it's it's really really cool to. Uh, to have those conversations too. And when I walked in, Derek said, Hey, every time I'm here, I tweet at you guys. I tag him all rose to him. Like, you have. I remember that, Derek. Thank you. <laughs> uh, it was great. He had his whole family there. And in fact, he came up to me as he was going back, like, come back to the bathroom or something. He said, I just got both of my teenage kids to subscribe to the Club and Country podcast while we sat there. <laughs> yes. So. Success begets success. Go to ML Rose because of us and then follow us because of ML Rose because you see us at ML Rose. I don't know. It's a whole virtuous circle. Uh, I'm not going to draw a diagram, but it was great. <laughs> ML Rose, the place to go. I uh, was on Charlotte Avenue on uh, Saturday night. And then, of course, the wonderful 8th Avenue location before the Colorado match, uh, a match that saw Hani Mukhtar get back onto the score sheet. Shuffle back into the box. Three players available as well. One of them is Dax McCutty. Leads it for Mukhtar and it's gone in. It's an instant impact. For Major League Soccer's MVP and Nashville FC lead. I just, I just think it's very important that we, we got back in the winning column. Um, honestly, I'm not sure the performances over the the past six games have, have been that poor. If, if, as an example, if you look at the way we played against Philadelphia, lots of opportunities, very aggressive, very purposeful. The result wasn't there and of course we can look at some of the decisions that were made in the game but also we have to look internally at ourselves and you know start to decide what are we going to be what do we want to be and how are we going to get there and I thought tonight we just slowly but surely started to turn in that positive direction the result was very very important I think emotionally for all of the group and it puts us on a, a very positive track and maybe in a position to you know, there's there's still work to be done, but try and control this this group of of three teams 
and finish top of it and, and give ourselves a home game possibly in the last 32. Yeah, Gary, talking about the importance of getting back in the win column, it's the boys and Gold's first win since the D.C. home victory to start July. Uh, Gary referenced in that quote, Tim, that he didn't think the team had played all that badly in several of those matches. I'm inclined to agree. I also am not sure they played all that well against Colorado, considering the opponent. Do you think they played better in this win than they had in recent losses, or, or did the chips just fall their way Sunday? Yeah, I think they looked very good in part because the opponent is very bad. And it's worth noting, despite that, that as I mentioned before, Colorado was a couple of Calvin Harris whiffs away from opening the scoring in the first half on two different occasions. So in that sense, I guess it is because the chips fell their way. But at the same time, we've also seen over the course of the year that when they don't have top attacking talent, they can struggle. When you look at having Jacob Schaffelberg back and, and integrated into the group returning from the Gold Cup where we played with Canada, Hani Mukhtar to another level and, and fully healthy at this stage as well. Randall Leal getting comfortable after returning from an injury and, and hopefully the injury that he suffered on Sunday night ends up not being that significant either. But I think it's been a while since there's been a, a healthy complement of attacking players. And that, that applies at the back too. Walker Zimmerman has been in and out of the lineup both for Nations League and, and since then due to injury. But it's the attack that's been disappointing during this run and, and to see it kind of get back to form when you have the players that you are expecting to have on a regular basis, it really does give bright signs of hope. Yeah, it wasn't crisp in the first half, as I referenced earlier. And, you know, I, I enjoyed seeing Nashville command the ball and and have the majority of the shots. But then once things started getting more precise in the second half, you saw this team playing into the version of, of Nashville that we know, especially at home. I think that's really encouraging. We wondered if Nashville was going to take this tournament seriously. Obviously, every time they get on the pitch, they're going to want to win. But how is the rotation going to be? I think it's fair to say they seem to be making it a priority, maybe not a top, top priority, uh, but Payancito said in the mailbag, just reassure us that uh, hashtag Todos Unidos is taking the League's Cup seriously, please. I think you saw the players we hope to see, maybe not all yeah. starting, but I think it was it was on the it was on one of the better timelines uh, as opposed to what they could have done, which is to throw a bunch of Huntsville guys in there or or play a B squad. Yeah, I, w- I was pleasantly surprised with the lineup. Um, it wasn't full strength. Otherwise, you wouldn't see the reigning MVP and a, a recent defensive player of the year start the match uh, sitting down on the bench next to Gary Smith. But it, it also wasn't a U.S. Open Cup style group out there either. This was close to the strongest available um, other than Mukhtar and, and Zimmerman coming off the bench. And then uh, the fact that you are able to bring those guys off the bench is a, is a tactical choice that uh, can pay off for you in some circumstances as well as certainly when it comes to Hani Mukhtar. So it was a stronger group than I was expecting. And I'm, I'm pleasantly surprised to see that it, it seems to be a trophy that this club is taking extremely seriously. I laugh at the fact that Gary Smith sits his two all-stars and we still say it's a pretty strong group, but you're right. Yeah. It is. And, and that speaks, I guess, to the depth of this team and how that's improved too. And, and another indicator of that is Joe Willis starting. I was watching warmups with my brother lineups came out he said oh it's interesting that that panico is not getting a cup run out here thought that was a little bit intriguing uh and maybe another statement of you know this is an a side this is not just throwing you know throwing a, a, some backups in there for a cup game even still they like panico they gave him some reps last year were you surprised that he didn't get a cup start here um when you see the the strength of the whole lineup ultimately no because it was we are playing our best keeper because we are taking this match very seriously um, again, I'm a little bit surprised at how seriously and maybe and like I said, pleasantly surprised, maybe uh, the the club listened to us a little bit when we were a little bit disappointed at, of the squad that they ran out there in the U.S. Open Cup loss. Uh, they they said, OK, no, we're not we're not going to kind of mess around with it. We are going to do what we can to win this match. And obviously uh, the nature of the three team groups meant 
and that the opening match, um, Toluca ha- has yet to play. Um, the opening match basically means if you win it, you get through. Um, it's it's really that simple. Uh, and so at this stage, uh, I think they said we can do that, and then we can go out and, and put our best foot forward when we pl- play a Liga MX team. And and you know we have already established a floor for where we go in this, which is hopefully into the knockout rounds, barring a a round robin of two one wins for everybody. <laughs> It was good to see. I I do think that maybe there was a change in strategy based on recent form for this club. If they're in the supporter shield hunt, even close to it, I wonder if they de-emphasize League's Cup just a little, just a little bit more. But I think mm-hmm. they understood the importance of better form and that this is their best shot now at a trophy, unless of course they get hot like anybody can and win MLS Cup. Um, I don't know. MLS Cup might even be easier to do than this, but they're they're throwing some things at it for sure. And I think that's good to see. Uh, it's definitely definitely a relief uh, by the numbers into the Gold Nuggets. Now uh, Nashville had the highest shot tally uh, since its May sixth win over Chicago, where they uh, shot the ball twenty eight times, a second the most in club history behind the Cincy opener in twenty one. Um, the two teams combined for the highest combined shot total in a Nashville match this season in all competitions thirty eight. Total is Colorado had a 20-minute stretch there, Tim, where they kind of pinned Nashville SC in its own third. The repress was really looking good there. Um, and I, I think it was during the it was the one-nothing stretch, I think, that Nashville was up. Mm-hmm. That Colorado was chasing the game. They had that urgency, and Nashville just couldn't get past that first layer, that press. It was a bit frustrating. Um, but other than that, it seemed like, you know, a fairly end-to-end match. Or did you think it was as back and forth end-to-end as the numbers suggest? Yeah, I thought um, the first half, and especially for a half in, in which you know you finish the way the half does with not a whole lot of of uh, expected goals, thanks to Calvin Harris's foot uh, disappearing from the, this mortal coil on two separate occasions, but uh, and and Teal Boneberry's header um, going woefully off target as well. But th- there was there was a pretty entertaining up and down, as you just mentioned, kind of characteristic to the first half. And then, of course, once Nashville scores, as you mentioned there, uh, the shape of the match is going to be a little bit different. And um, yes, they're going to sit and try to counter a little bit more and they'll let the opponent kind of do some of the things that Colorado was trying to do to change the outcome of the game. And um, you see when teams try to change the outcome of the game in the ways that Colorado does, Nashville is often going to snag a second goal, and they did. And then, uh, unfortunately, it, it paid off for, for Colorado shortly thereafter, but they couldn't come all the way back. It didn't feel as frenetic to me as a 38-shot match might normally. And I think part of it was that it wasn't really the most physical contest that we've seen. We didn't Mm -hmm, see a yellow card until rather late. I I thought the referee actually did quite a good job managing the match, but there was not a lot of heat uh, between the players. It seemed like they were out there to do business, and it it didn't seem like a normal spite-filled league match, um, no matter (laughs) how Gary Smith might feel in his heart toward toward Colorado. (laughs) But... Uh, but Nashville remains perfect against Colorado under Gary Smith. Four matches in three competitions, Nashville 4-0-0. Oh, oh. uh, that includes a USL win, 2-0 uh, over uh, Colorado at Vanderbilt Stadium uh, back in U.S. Open Cup play. I say USL win, you know what I mean. The USL team beat him. Uh, total 11 goals to three in those games. Now, Gary's not going to say it out loud. He's always going to you know, compose himself with class toward even a place where he may have some bitterness. But he must really relish beating his old club. Yeah, I, I think he legitimately does not prepare for the game any differently. Um, I, you know, that's not a process that you really want to get into. It's not like, uh, you know, Michigan does something every week to try to beat Ohio State. <laughs> We've got to get our requisite college football reference in here, but it is a situation where he's preparing the same way. But, but you bet, you bet after the match when he wins, he's he's a little bit happier. It's something that he's definitely going to savor a little bit more. And uh, to the extent that it changes the way that he approaches the game, I don't think so. But de- definitely. Uh, 
especially with the way he left Colorado shortly after winning MLS Cup. He, he's very happy to to put the franchise where it belongs. Yeah, I get the feeling that the angst is probably directed towards certain individuals rather than toward the club. And those individuals, I don't think are really with Colorado anymore. So yeah. um, he has said before, like, I have no nothing but, you know, fond memories of that place. You know, he says a lot of things. But, yeah. <laughs> but even even privately, he's, yeah. you know, I've tried to yeah. play up that angle and calls with him. And he's like, he doesn't take the bait. He's like, no, no, no. Yeah. Like, that's fine. It was frustrating. Those things happened a long time ago and and I'm here and I'm happy now. And uh, well, he's happy today after beating his old team for the fourth time. Uh, and now it's Toluca time, the seventh most popular team in Mexico uh, per I don't know what metric I saw it on Wikipedia. So take that for what it's worth. <laughs> uh, one fact, it's a little easier to trace uh, the third most league titles in Mexican history. And I thought Tim, that uh, that somebody we've referenced a lot here, that our friend John Arnold did a really good job on extra time last week. He broke down every single Mexican team, and he said, you know, there there are four grandes, four large Mexican clubs. Unless you're a Toluca fan, then you think there are five, and that you're one of them. But the four grandes would say, no, no, no. So regardless of of how you feel on that, you know, they're established. They've been around since 1917. They're in the Mexico City area. And this is a, a team that maybe is lesser known to a lot of folks who don't follow Liga MX as, as closely, but it, it's a legendary team. It's it's a good name coming here that a lot of people who live in the Nashville area will recognize because of their their background. Yeah, man, I don't I don't know about them as the as the fifth one. And, and shout out to John Arnold. Uh, unfortunately, we couldn't schedule him to come on the podcast <laughs> this week. We tried everyone. He was going to come. He's in the same nuggets in our very own space, but um, he couldn't make it. But yeah, I think this is a club that. You're not looking at them with the Chivas, the Americas, but you are looking at them in that maybe next tier. Um, I think there's some debate as to who as to who might uh, have a, a legitimate argument to be in those grandes. But the, Toluca is certainly a team that feels like it is right in that mix there. Um, so that's something that when you look at it, you are not playing against a team that that has no history. Uh, they have not been good the past couple of years, but that does not necessarily mean that they uh, are suddenly a, a club that doesn't know how to handle a match like this. They have enough history that they can um, come on the road. They can probably play in front of a, 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 team, a stadium that's going to be friendly to the Mexican team, probably. Yep. Um, maybe not maybe not 50-50, but it'll be more friendly than your average MLS game to the visitor. So it's definitely something that this club is going to be able to handle. Yeah, I think so, too. Um, they won the CONCACAF championship back in 2003. Uh, so fans of, of that club will remember that. Uh, leaders in that club will certainly have been, have been reminded of that. And also back in 1968, they beat the New York Greek Americans en route to a, uh, a CONCACAF Champions Cup, I think it was called then, uh, championship way back in the day. Sorry, Greek Americans, uh, you didn't know you were going to get uh, added in this uh, in this show. Uh, yeah, Shouts Hansen... out to your cuisine, though, to it's all my Greek Americans out there. Love it. I, I can be your Euro baby. <laughs> oh God! <laughs> <laughs> Sandwich that one right in there. Um, a nickname, by the way, the Diablos Rojos. If you want something to reference to your friends as you walk into the match, Tim, what do you expect out of this one, other than? I mean, it's it's the harder of the two games, you would assume. It better be harder <laughs> than the Rapids. Is this a game Nashville should expect to win, given some sort of home pitch advantage? Or is this one where they're happy to get anything out of this contest? Yeah, I, I it'll be interesting to see what the um, what the status is uh, in terms of how seriously Toluca is taking it, for starters. And then when you look at perhaps, you know, what, what has happened, um, I believe the Colorado-Toluca match is, is first, right? 
Am I looking? Am I remembering no. wrong? No, this one. No, okay, no, you're right. Yeah, so Toluca. Yeah, so I think Toluca can come to Nashville and say, if we just get a draw here, we probably we probably uh, get to advance because Colorado is is not really going to challenge them if they take that one seriously. It's kind of a a situation where you can, uh, you know, take the easy game a little bit more seriously to guarantee yourself something, and then whatever happens in the tougher game, you can you can kind of rotate a little bit. You can kind of um take it a little bit differently. Because if you get a draw, uh, assuming that you think you're going to beat the Rapids, you are through. The top two out of three teams in this group get through. So um, that will affect how Nashville takes the uh, competition against Toluca as well. So it's something that's going to be uh, pretty interesting to watch, especially since Nashville does already have that that uh, win over Colorado in hand. A draw guarantees, even a draw and a loss in penalties guarantees that Nashville goes through at this stage. So um, it'll be interesting to see how how they maybe finally get that rotation that we talked about previously. The pressure's off. So you can do the kind of thing that that we recommended last time and you can attack. You can you can play closer to a five four type of game and um and and have some fun. Try to try to put up some goals even if you allow a few against this Toluca team. And I think that's good to market this club as well. Not that Gary Smith cares so much about marketing. He wants to win, but yeah uh, it's, oh, it's but I found the schedule. Found found it. Now yeah. I know. Okay. Yeah. Rapids, Rapids is last. <laughs> yeah, glad you trusted me on that. Uh, like, <laughs> true what Wes said. I'm going to look this up for myself. That can't be right. And what do you know? I was right. I'm going to record that. I was right. <laughs> Play it to my wife every day, even though it won't apply. Talk about small sample size. Am I right, folks? <laughs> oh, it's true. It's true. Um, all right. So before we get into the mailbag, this this segment says ML Rose ad, and we'll do that in a minute. But I also want to give a little bit of love to some other folks that um, that I saw at the match last night. Um, I, I saw a, a podcast celebrity. Um, he was sitting right in front of me. So there's a the family, lovely you know people sitting right in front of us. Couple of kids, uh, uh, presumed a wife and husband. Turned out that was the case. But the the name on the back of the circa 2018 USL you know Nissan branded kit uh, said hole H O A L and I'm like how many how many holes are there in this town? So I tapped him on the shoulder. Are you Chris Hole? Are you Wes? Yeah, man. And we had a great conversation for the rest of the game. Stayed afterward. His his poor family waited and waited while <laughs> my brother and, and I sat and chatted for 15 minutes after the match. It was it's always really great to see members of the Nashville SC community in person that we've interacted with on here. I'd never actually met Chris, but I told him I felt like we were already friends here. Maybe we were, but like and he he said, you're my favorite Nashville SC podcast because you're so thoughtful. And I said, well, we have to be with the questions you send us every week. <laughs> but I said, you create that. Man, how's that for crowd service? Jeez. I said, you create that creative tension for us. You give us that burden of asking great questions that force us to be smart or at least pretend to be. Uh, so thanks to Chris for saying hi. I mentioned Derek earlier. It's all my good buddy, John Cade at, at the game as well with his family. Um, it's just, it's like a reunion, man, getting to actually go to matches and sit and watch them instead of being in a press box, you know, in, but not of, uh, it was, it was a lot of fun. Yeah. And, and, you know, I, I harp on it a lot, but the community that we've built around this podcast, the community that understands that ML Rose is the place to go is always something that we're so proud of helping develop. And, um, obviously, uh, ML Rose plays a huge role in why people are so happy to go there as well. The food, the drinks, uh, the camaraderie, it's all, it's all from them they have yep. built that organically and, and we're happy to just be a little part of it it's a blast a nice smooth segue we're straight back into the ad that was very well done like a pro who's been doing this for three years now um harrison hall by the way tweeted at us today and asked a, an important mailbag question what can't ml rose do 
He said he went last night and they offer a Delta 8 seltzer now. First time he's seen that at a restaurant. He says, great option for fans wanting to socially sip sans alcohol before a game. I think that's one thing that we see from ML Rose, Tim, is that they're interested in serving everybody, you know, vegetarian or not. You want to drink? No. You want something a little bit different? You know, they'll they'll do that. They, they're not content just to sit back and and do what they've always done. They want to stick to their traditions while also evolving in all the right ways. Yeah. And, and, you know, the, the Delta eight seltzers, I cannot uh, claim to have tried, but I, it's cool that they're kind of on the cutting edge of, of kind of innovating for some of those different options that people are looking for. And, and something that's obviously becoming more popular um, nowadays. And they're, they're hoping to, to try and serve as many different populations as possible. Emil Rose, great place to go, of course. Um, not just because of the quality of the place, but because of the quality of the people and uh, the opportunity to spend time there with them. Uh, let's go to the mailbag now, Trevor. Is it hyperbole to say, it's a good question here, that the Colorado match was the most important win of the season? If they don't beat Colorado, they likely don't make it out of the group stage. They go three plus weeks without a game, only to face New England without Fafa and Taylor, winners in just one of eight in a mental rut. Trevor, your your slippery slope, your very realistic slippery slope case here persuades me a lot more than the initial question. I did not initially think it was close to the most important win. I do think you make a good point, even if I don't necessarily think that's the case. Yeah, I think it's hyperbolic for sure, but I think you can justify it for the reasons that you mentioned uh, without even getting into the fact that it keeps NSC alive for a trophy. It's the trophy that they are closest to at this stage, um, both because um, they're you know, one of the higher seeds from last year's finish, but also because of uh, the nature of the calendar. You know, August... Uh, comes before November or whenever the playoff uh, as the playoffs end. Excuse me. So, in the grand scheme, doing the expected is important, but I do think there's an uh, kind of a ceiling on how important it can be to do something that is kind of expected of you, as beating Colorado is expected of this club. Yeah, I mean, if Nashville ends up winning a trophy from this or getting that second or third spot to get them to CCL, I think you can point at this as one of the biggest of the season. At this point, I I still look at league contests uh six pointers against teams close in the table that columbus home win that i've mentioned now a couple times i think is is crucial you could go st louis if you wanted even though it's not a standings deal obviously since they're in the west montreal at home which looks better now i think than it did then uh, i think columbus is still your answer here um and i would certainly think and hope that nashville's biggest win of the season is uh ahead of it if not behind it uh, but I do, I, I think you make a very good point. I think this team's in a very bad place. If they, as I mentioned earlier, it's it would be more harmful to lose than it was good to win. Um, but I think you can breathe a sigh of relief that Nashville held on and got and got all three points here. Uh, Christopher Price, what's the rationale of resting your stars in the first half, bringing them in as super subs versus starting them, jumping out to a two-plus goal lead before resting them in the second half? Something I actually asked at the game last night. Yeah, I mean, they're both viable strategies. Uh, it's important to keep in mind that you do not guarantee yourself a 2 nothing lead by starting your best players. But That'd be nice. Yeah, playing your top talent against tired legs has its obvious advantages. And if you're not going to be able to give your top players 90, I think you'd rather have them set up for maximum success. Again, it's not a guarantee that that playing them against tired legs is going to work out perfectly either. I've, this is the second time I've mentioned the Chicago match. Hani Mukhtar could not change that game when he came on. So... Uh, playing guys in either circumstance, it gets you something different, but neither of them guarantees a result. You have a little bit more control if you start them over how much time they end up playing, because if you sub them on, you're probably not going to want to use a sub to sub them right back off. If And then you can, if you want to get 70 minutes out of them and you get to the 70th minute and they haven't played yet, you 
do not have that opportunity anymore. So if you start them, you have a little bit more control. And I think that that's the main thing. And obviously you're more likely to be able to get more time out of them, but um, playing them against tired legs. Yeah. I think it's clear. We saw Hani do it last night. We know why that it can be really helpful. And, um, you know, seeing Schaffelberg do it against tired legs earlier in the season when he and Fafa were kind of uh, platooning at that left winger spot is something that I think makes it very clear as well what you get with your speed against tired legs. Christopher, your proposal was what I proposed last week, which was to have Hani start and go 45 minutes and get pulled no matter what and just go ham, which of course stands for Hani asked Mukhtar. Um, unfortunately, of course, um, didn't do that. <laughs> the actual middle name starts with an A, right? <laughs> and it's not ass for the record. <laughs> I mean, I guess I should confirm that, but I don't think that's the case. Uh, you know, I, obviously it works. I think out. it's a Bubakar. Yeah, that's thank you. That's better. Um, <laughs> oh, this show's going off the rails. Um, but I, I, you know, obviously it worked out the way it happened. Uh, I wanted him to go forty-five to start to to get off the Schneid right away, if possible, to start the game with some momentum and to then be fresher for Toluca, where I think he could start and go longer. Yeah. The result, of course, is that he doesn't play a full half. He's probably fresh anyway against Toluca. And I think the hope was he might not be needed. I mean, against a team like Colorado, you go up to nothing. Honey's probably always going to play, but maybe he comes in in the 80th yeah. just to stretch his legs a little bit. Um, I think Gary's typically more strategic and calculated with his center back minutes. I think Walker was probably always planned to come on exactly when he did, no matter the game state. Uh, but Hani, he was needed. And uh turns out uh, he was useful. He was productive. Yeah. And like I said, it it's the same strategy that we saw against the fire. Obviously, he came on at halftime against the fire because of the game state there. But uh, we saw it work once on Sunday night and we saw it not work against Chicago. So either strategy can kind of have its pluses and minuses. And, and I think if you started Hani against Chicago, that is more likely a win. But we saw that if you don't start him against Colorado, it turns out to be a win. So you can you can get by either way. Uh, last minute question we just got in here. Is it time to sit Bunbury until he can start performing better? He's been a liability and more than partly to blame on a lot of Nashville's losses. That from David Eddy. David, I, I don't think it's time to sit him because I think he's about to probably get sat when a Sam Surridge <laughs> comes in if that happens. And I think you give him every opportunity at this point to a do his thing away from the ball, which he's still doing well. The target yeah. play was good again. Distribution not so great. Uh, shots obviously not as crisp, but he's motivated right now. He is, you know, trying to play for his, you know, starting job uh, for when Surge comes. And what's your alternative there? Unless yeah. you change your shape, I don't think Zubac's going to give you any more. So I think you let Bunbury do what he's doing well. He's he's not finishing brilliantly right now. I think it's a little yeah. harsh to say he's to blame for several losses. You can certainly point to the Philadelphia miss as an important yeah. moment, though. And multiple times last night, I said he needs to find the back of the net. He's close. He's in good positions. He's just not finishing right now. Yeah, and it's important to keep in mind that he is not a career like XG underachiever. So as long as he's still kind of creating those moments, I'm not too worried about the finishing. Honestly, it's something that comes and goes. It's essentially randomness. Any individual shot suffers from a small sample size. So I wouldn't worry about a miss. I would worry if he wasn't getting into the box and being in position for chances to exist in the first place. Snooks, I haven't seen anything at this time. Any word on Leal's injury? Looked like an ankle possibly. That's terrible luck for him. And Christopher, does the transfer plan change at all if Randall is out with an extended injury prognosis? How do we supplement to fill in the gap until Leal's return? Yeah, I mean, it's a sprained ankle, almost certainly. You can tell from the way that he came off, from the way that the, the club acted. 
in the postgame press conference, Gary Smith said there was swelling and we wouldn't know anything for sure until, until an MRI or, or crossed fingers that it's not necessary and X which you would need if it was broken. Um, after the swelling recedes, you get that MRI. You can tell how serious it is. I, I asked my medical consult this morning for, for help answering this question, but uh, that's obviously worse news. We need to wait on the imaging is worse news than he's fine, but it's definitely better than, hey, uh, we can already tell his ankle screwed. Uh, he's not he's not playing anytime soon. In terms of the of the plan, I don't think the transfer plan changes at all. And I don't think that there's a whole lot that needs to change with what Nashville has been doing. They've gotten really used to playing without Randall Lay all this year, unfortunately, because he has been injured. Hani Mukhtar playing at the number 10 and, and Fafa or Jacob at the at the other, I guess, second striker spot next to your target striker, whether that's Bunbury or an incoming signing. I don't think you have to change a whole lot. Alex Mill and Sean Davis can play those shuttler roles. Anibal Godoy uh, will be fully healthy to play those shuttler roles and, and back integrated with the squad. This was his first game back, so I wouldn't be too concerned about it. Yeah, I hate it for Randall. This team, could yeah, be sucks. Fine. Randall's yeah. awesome, and and not having him stink. But uh, from a personnel perspective only, it's not too significant. Yeah, Nashville can be fine without him. It's harder to thrive without him. Mm-hmm. And and I just that moment, you know, it was coming in. A, it was a good time in the match, and then your heart just sinks to the point that I said, you know, I, I wouldn't blame a Nashville fan for saying I would have rather lost this game and kept Randall completely healthy than vice yeah. versa. Like it just it's it, if if again it's anything semi serious. Um, shut him down for leagues cup. Obviously if he turned his ankle and swelling's better, like I'm not a doctor, I'm not saying for sure do it, but if it's anything resembling anything serious, you've got a built-in time window now to, to let him sit, let him heal. That's the, the one redeeming thing about that, but our best wishes go to him. Uh, just, it sucks, man. He just, he needs to catch a break and get a run of 10 straight, 15 straight matches. Cause when he does, he is as electrifying as anybody on this team. Some, some days, even including Hani Mukhtar. Not every day, but some days. Um, Brian Wilson, what's Jack Mayer's status? As we talk about injuries for a second, three points and back among the goals, but we gave up a lot of good looks against Colorado that a better team would have done more with. Up the Yotes, he says. All right, you're on Team Yotes. Brian, respect. (laughs) Yeah, there hasn't really been a specific update other than he's basically day-to-day. The injury reports can be pretty illuminating here. He has not been listed as out on the injury report for any of the matches he's missed. I'm just questionable. And that even dates back to the first one that he missed, which was the Philadelphia match. So he shouldn't be too far off. Um, I think it's it's a uh, we want him to be 100 percent rather than there's a reason to hustle him back if he's 80, 90 percent. Yeah, no reason to risk him for sure. Um, I didn't think Bauer was the best player on the pitch Sunday. I thought there mm-hmm. were even maybe some communication challenges as he's trying to. There's one moment where he had a giveaway to Dax where he's not yelling man on, man on. Dax should have seen it coming too. Um, yeah. There was some sloppy center back play, but I think these are the times where you want to develop that depth. And center backs need reps as much as anybody on the pitch. So glad Josh Bauer got him. We know what what uh, what Jack can do when he's on the pitch. So not not terribly worried. Sounds like he is close. Uh, John Mueller, what are transfers and how can NSC be encouraged <laughs> to make them? Because, <laughs> yes, I know they're complex, potentially drawn out, but come on, y'all. Every other team has knocked one out already. I mean, he's echoing right there, Tim, the sentiment of the fan base right now. I think there's a lot of angst right now around this. Yeah, I cover Nashville SC, so I don't know what a transfer is. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> oh. No, but no, for, for real, uh, plugged in reporters from the Nottingham Forest end of things have said that unexpected travel and visa delays for Sam Surridge have, have delayed the process of finishing his his contract and finalizing a signing there. Um, yes, it's frustrating that it comes up like this and, and that other clubs have been able to work through this stuff, but it sounds like it was pretty unexpected. Surridge visited Nashville a few weeks ago, the, the famed airport photo with Mike Jacobs that we talked about last week. Um, but 
to come in and, and get a work visa is a different sort of um, entry requirement. Um, so it's something that I came up unexpectedly in terms of getting that all squared away, getting the paperwork squared away. When that happens, um, I don't think there's there's too much to worry about in terms of Nashville being able to to get the signing uh, done and announced. Robinhood can tell us when you're detained by the sheriff of Nottingham. Sometimes it can be hard to get out of Sherwood Forest. Yeah, it's it's just it's, <laughs> it's literature. It's literature. Uh, Finn Breland, can we talk about Dax McCarty? I feel like he's bounced back from a lackluster 2022 and is playing some great soccer for us. I was remarking on that last night, too. He's he's now started the last six matches in all competitions. And part of that, absolutely, is because Anibal's been out, so you're thinner there. But he went the full 90 in five of those games. Um, he, just for whatever it's worth, he earned the highest spot mob rating last night. Take that for what it is. But yeah, it means for whatever it's worth, which is nothing. Not okay, <laughs> but it means he was on the ball a lot. At the very yeah. least, it means he didn't suck. Um, <laughs> more importantly, he's already started 17 league games, plus, of course, the one uh, cup, uh, late least cup match last night. After starting just 21 all of last season in league play. So at the very least, his availability is one of his best bits of, of, of ability because it means he can influence what's happening on the pitch, even from a morale standpoint, from a leadership standpoint. And uh, I mean, the assist last night was, was vintage Dax. It's as Dax ages again, he's younger than us. He's young, and <laughs> but he's, he's evolved his game in kind of a beautiful way to be able to make the cheeky passes and use that vision in different ways when he used to use his speed a little bit more. Yeah, he's not the same type of player that he has been over the course of his career, um, a natural product of aging. Um, when he catches up to us, I hope his knees don't feel like mine do, but it means he can't get up and down the pitch as effectively or as frequently or as as quickly. And his passing has still not quite been as sharp this year. Um, he's making riskier passes and completing them against expected uh, completion rates per American soccer analysis at the lowest rate of his time with Nashville. So he's, um, you know, trying difficult passes and, and not hitting them to the expected value, or he's actually still exceeding the expected value, but not as much as he did in previous years. His game intelligence, um, the the cheeky pass that you mentioned, those sorts of things are maybe kind of adding into his game and they're taking away from some of what the physical is not what it has been historically for Dax, who has always been kind of that energizer bunny type. He now has a little bit of old man game and he's, he's, uh, you know, he's the guy who's at, at uh, the gym kind of wearing the, the tube socks and the headband, <laughs> um, knocking down a bunch of stuff and making everybody really angry, you. even though, he, even though his ability isn't what it used to be. I'll tell you that if I'm going to watch one player on the pitch the whole time, I love watching Dax. I love the way he organizes, the way he reads the game, the way he closes gaps, uh, exploits them in the attack. Uh, He's just so much fun to watch. And yes, sometimes now you see him be a step slow and you can tell he's frustrated. He's not quite making plays he used to make, but but I think he's allowed his savvy, his intelligence to make up for that deficit. And uh, I I love, especially in person, when you can see the whole pitch, I love the way he reads the game. It is it's fun. Yeah, it reminds me of the famous quote about a guy who who definitely does not play for Inter Miami now. If you if you watch the game, you don't see Dax, but if you watch Dax, you see the whole game. So. It's such a good quote. I just I yeah. used that quote last night too. They they said it on the Apple TV broadcast. I think we got to give credit there, right? Yeah. Oh my gosh, that was that's a beautiful one. That's a beauty, and it's true. Christopher, our need for striker seems obvious. Our midfield is aging, but any concerns at all that an incoming transfer might upset team chemistry? Yeah, I mean, obviously, when you bring in a new transfer, not everybody's going to be happy, right? That's particularly the guys who might have to fight for their jobs. We were just talking about how Teal Bunbury might have to, uh, you know, 
struggle if Nashville does end up completing a Sam Surridge uh, signing. Teal's going to have to work to get on the field. And obviously, I don't think that's something that he's afraid to do, but it's something that he hasn't had to do since um, since the striker room changed early in the season uh, when CJ Supong departed. But it is a situation where that's, that's the business, and these guys know that it's the business. So, yeah, a guy like Bunbury might not be happy when a striker comes in, but he understands that that's how team sports work. <laughs> so, so there's not a whole lot you can do about it other than continue working your ass off. Yeah, and yeah, I mean, Teal is the exact right kind of personality to understand yeah. his his play. I mean, he's been the backup for you know the better part of a season and a half until CJ Sapong goes. Uh, if you get the right kind of striker, then on the pitch too, then no, I think I think that can serve your chemistry better. And, and the question may have been geared more toward off pitch, but I think on the pitch as well. You know, the failing of the front office with Aki Lobo was that he ended up basically being the same positional profile as Hani Mukhtar. He was never going to beat Hani uh, onto the pitch. At least that's what they would said publicly. Surge is brought in to connect with Mukhtar while he finds while he finds his own touch in front of goal. So I think you know he can bring allow Mukhtar to be more of himself while being that killer in front of goal that Nashville needs right now. The wrong kind of striker steals touches from Hani. He steals the limelight from Hani. All these things. I don't think this is that. I think that you know th- this is hopefully the same model as a CJ Sapong at his best was supposed to fulfill, which is to use your strength, your savvy, to be a target, to connect with Hani, to find your own chances and to play that two man game that I think helps team chemistry rather than detracting from it. Uh, Yeah. I I take it. I take exception to the Ake Lobo characterization, but now is not the time. I think the problem with Ake Lobo is not that he's the same sort of player as Hani Mukhtaris, that he didn't care to play to, to play and get in shape well enough to, to win the good graces of his coach, regardless of what position he was playing. But and I, I recognize that the club's not going to come out and say what you just said. I'm not going to say, yeah, he just kind of stinks right now. And so he's, and so that was what they said was, you know, it's either him or Hani on the pitch and we know who's going to get on the pitch. You definitely find a, a, a way to get a productive guy on the pitch regardless of his yeah. profile, if he's productive enough. but They, mag- they magically found ways to get Jacob Schaffelberg and Hani on the pitch <laughs> and Randall and Hani on the pitch, and all three of those guys on the pitch. Yeah, well, yeah. All right. Uh, Christopher, if Messi were to match Hani's historic MLS production over the next three-plus years in Miami, would the soccer world view his transfer as successful, or does he have to exceed Hani to fulfill expectations based on Messi's proven track record on soccer's largest stages. This is not about Messi's production, right? This is about Messi's yeah. presence. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I don't think he needs to sniff Hani's production to be considered a success. And I, I am being 100% sincere when I say that it might sound like a joke, but it's not. Um, maybe if he drags Miami into the playoffs a couple of times and puts up decent, but not MVP type numbers, um, he's, he's there. It's the reason he was brought in was yes, because he's an outstanding player, but also because, there is something in terms of cachet from signing the best player ever <laughs> just to lace up the boots, you know? So from the perspective of the league, it, w- it would probably be a bit better if he doesn't light the world on fire because it'll show that the level of MLS is probably higher than people think. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I know when he went to, to league on everybody was like, Oh, he's just going to destroy that league. And he, he didn't really do that. And I think it's kind of, um, maybe detracted from the perception of PSG, but helps the perception of the French league. And I think major league soccer could have the same sort of thing as long as Messi comes in and is a, a very good, but but not, you know, MVP caliber player. But as for this past weekend, boy, what a moment. For no, no, he can, he can, he can bang all the free kicks against yeah. Mexican teams that he wants. Keep it up. It's funny because so many people, so many people on Twitter were like, oh, he, he goes to MLS and suddenly he's awesome. I was like, he's not playing against an MLS team. What are you talking about? 
doesn't really work that way. Uh, let's hear yeah. the magical moments, though, as called beautifully by Jake Zimmon. And here we go. The Inter-Miami debut of the greatest of all time, Lionel Messi. The moment is here. Here it is. Messi! Apple TV, Jake Zivin bringing you that awesome moment. I believe I heard um, our our old friend Shaw Brown, uh, former World Cup producer, former um, Nashville SC producer and director. I believe he was no, the noted Michigan director. Wolverine. You mean? Oh, you had to go Michigan, didn't you? It's <laughs> two Michigan references. You're still below the average. You'll get there. <laughs> uh, it was a special moment, I think. And you know, as a as an Inter Miami, I would say cynic, but I think you can be a realist, and it just seems cynical about Miami because they just mm-hmm. they fail every time they are not West wing. They are veep um, when it comes to building a team and Nashville's probably West wing, but even, even I sat there and smiled and it wasn't just messy. It was the Busquets messy connection. Look, I, do I think that trying to import Barcelona to Miami is a long-term sustainable strategy in Miami? No, I don't think it's meant to be. I think it's meant to be a marketing ploy that gets you some good games and some great crowds for a couple of years. And then you reset and refresh. That's all fine. But watching that connection between Busquets and Messi was my favorite part. The, you know, unspoken chemistry they have. Um, it was it was fun. It was really enjoyable. Yeah, and, and for those who don't know, the the apocryphal Dax quote that I gave in the last section was is actually about Busquets. So this is the guy who uh, has had that kind of field vision, that that awareness, all of the things that that you want a player who's not an elite athlete to be able to do. Busquets is the guy who is the archetype for for guys who can do that. And, and the fact that he's teaming up with the best player ever to, to lace up the boots. Miami is going to get better. Uh, how much better <laughs> might be a bit of a question, but they're definitely going to deliver magical moments, even if they aren't a playoff caliber team. They will earn more points in their final 12 matches than they earned in their first 22. That's my guess. That's also a pretty low bar. <laughs> well, so they're at 0.83 points per game. So yeah, that's possible. I need to actually have 18 now to make sure that's reasonable to say. I think they have um, eight, 18, I would guess. I, I know they're they at were pretty low. Yeah, yeah, I think 1.5 points per game seems doable to me. Um, yeah. Playing some home games in the Miami Heat always gives them a little bit of an advantage anyway, although maybe not if the team's averaging 38 years of age. <laughs> but the, the, um, the Miami Heat, the um, uh, NBA basketball team. And they have a big three now of their own if you take the Barcelona guys into account. So, yeah, yeah. it works. If Jordi Alba sees the field Miami's great <laughs> we'll just put it that way <laughs> Chris Bosch maybe see the Chris Bosch of the situation the oh poor Chris Bosch he always gets overlooked uh all right I want to I want to talk about the ultimate conversational Cruyff turn that Gary Smith pulled in the post game uh after Leaks Cup where he's asked about Messi and I think he probably expected to be asked about Messi and he took the convenient opportunity to point at the guy next to him. And when you hear this guy in the quote, he's talking, of course, about his man as number 10 sitting to his right, Hani Mukhtar. You've heard uh, all of the, um, you know, the, uh, the, the building to this and, and the, the positives that, that someone like Lionel Messi brings to the league. There's no two ways about it. It's, it's uh, fantastic signing for, for major league soccer. I thought the goal was a wonderful one. And he is, if not the best player ever, but have you not seen this guy score a free kick <laughs> in a very similar fashion? 
I'm not trying to compare Hanny to Lionel Messi. What I'm trying to say is, this guy right now is, if not the best player, he's certainly in the top one. He's he's performed over the last three years at an incredible level. Now, what I saw the other night was amazing from from Lionel Messi, and I have to. I have to expect that he's not trained an awful lot either, but the calibre of his play, the you know, just the, the confidence that he, he brought out of other players. Do we do we not see that from this gentleman next to me for, for our group? So Lionel Messi is a wonderful signing, not just for um for for Miami, but for the league of course as well. But you know, we are talking about the game tonight and let's not forget what this guy does because he's very special. You are as well. I appreciate that. I, I love that, Tim. That, you know, he, he doesn't discount Messi and he's not saying that Mukhtar is Messi. <laughs> uh, it's, it's really difficult to not discount Messi in that situation. <laughs> but he, he I, I love that he elevates his guy without putting that pressure and saying, mm-hmm. look, Messi, Mukhtar's not Messi. But you name somebody who's been more effective in this league in the last three years. It was it was a statement, and then of course the the last little bit to Jacob. You're great too, Jacob. <laughs> <laughs> I love all my children equally. <laughs> <laughs> and Jacob's looking like, oh, thank you, thank you. Jacob was hoping he didn't get asked a question. Um, it was uh, it was a it was a good moment for Gary. It was a statement. One of my favorite answers he's given in a press conference in a long time, and I'm a fan of Gary press conferences. Yeah, uh, talk about uh, the West Wing. Uh, Gary's got that dialogue, that Sorkin dialogue down for sure. But um, he's always going to pump up his own guys, but he's going to do it in a reasonable way almost every time. Maybe maybe he could get a little overheated in the, in the instance where his guy is the league MVP, and he doesn't really do that a whole lot. And that's something that we've come to appreciate um, Gary's ability to to. Uh, okay pull behind the curtain here a little bit his ability to give a really long answer to the first part of a multi-part question and not have to ask for what the second part was is insane <laughs> but um anyway, but other than that yeah he 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 knows how to orate he, this is a guy who loves to get up in front of a microphone and and knows how to to, to put together a, a coherent and entertaining answer all the time and um it's easy to get him to do that when it's about honey mukhtar Gary um, in private is is just as fun too. Like we have these broadcast calls before every match, and I, you know, there's a lot there that he said that I will never divulge. That's out of respect to him, off the record comments. But it's it's about the same words per answer rate, maybe longer at times. It's it's great the way he expounds and takes things new directions, but always in a calculated way to know where he's going. Mm-hmm. He is a smart, yeah. savvy operator. Uh, what's been your favorite League's Cup match so far, Wes? If I were to tell you a little story about 19 rounds of penalty kicks, how would you feel about that? It sounds like you're starting the, uh, a 30-30, a 30 for 30 documentary. And yeah. that's about what if, what if I told took. you? Yeah, that's yeah. about how long that PK round took. You could you could do a 30 for 30 just showing it with some music behind it. That was epic. Yeah. So the uh, for the for the uninitiated, the Vancouver, uh, unfortunately, PK lost to Leon uh, was it was a fun game even before that, too, yeah. I think lost in the drama of, of of 38 penalty kicks is the fact that it was a really cool game obviously it was early in the in the league's cup competition so it was a situation where we were kind of seeing how teams were going to treat this competition and that was everything that we basically could have dreamed that it was going to be along with the messy free kick which yes i really liked i, I think i've said many times before Messi's my favorite player and i don't doubt 
that most of you probably agree that he's the best player ever, uh, regardless of whether or not he's your favorite. Yes, it's fun, but you you sign the best player ever. You expect to to have some exciting moments. But Vancouver and Lyon coming out and playing a really fun match and then having just this insane amount of drama really punched up what League's Cup already has been and can be. Um, you know, we've complained about the three three team groups already, but I think it's something that in future iterations, if this tournament happens again, I would like to not have that be the case. But certainly what we have seen already is that teams are taking this seriously and they're making it really fun. Multiple matches have been absolutely inebriated. Um, I was going to go to bed after the Vancouver match and and I like was forcing same and instead i had like four beers (laughs) seriously that you could you could have four beers easily in the time that i mean we almost got back to the keepers a second time it was Mm -hmm. amazing it was it was and and at some point the keepers just gave up like the last miss was just off the post like there wasn't going to be another save unless somebody sniffed out a paninka there were two paninkas i believe uh by the same guy Mm -hmm. it was it was great uh multiple matches have been absolutely inebriated to the point that ml rose would not have kept serving them <laughs> uh, after halftime, but but MLS and Liga MX checked. They made sure they had Ubers lined up, and they gave Mashotsky a piece. It was it's been <laughs> great. Uh, since the SKC was the wildest, a red card. By the way, the most infuriating red card. A, a good call, not not the referee's fault. Alan Polito headbutts a guy, and is therefore suspended for a rematch against his former team in Chivas, yeah. where he didn't exactly thrive, and I think would have loved to have made a statement. Now. Or maybe maybe not. Maybe he didn't want to play him. This is a way to get out of it. Maybe he had a deal with Chivas. He's going to do something <laughs> stupid and not play. Vancouver delayed my bedtime by at least 30 minutes. Uh, NYCFC had a goal taken off the board. I still have not seen where the offside is on that. For Justin Hawk, he looked like he was two yards onside. He was off, and then he moved back in time. And it's Did you see the insane Atlas tweet about it? No, no. What they Don't, say? Yeah, uh, just go on, on. – on uh on the bird app go find the atlas fc account it is like something that the most deranged fan uh would tweet but instead it's uh comparing the league's cup to uh to famed nazi joseph goebbels from the official club account it is off the rails no (laughs) off the rails you can't can't believe it do that yeah you can't oh there it is that is okay Number one rule of anything is don't compare things to Nazis. Yeah. Just don't do it. They were they were awful. They there's don't just don't do it. It's soccer man. Like, <laughs> it's what? wild. Absolute what? wild. I sorry to derail you there, but yes, Atlas FC, uh get a new you social media. Did indeed manager. derail me. That is <laughs> man, but I'm glad you did. That's horrific. Oh my gosh. Um it, the going back to the tournament itself, it's been a wonderful blend to me of Conca Caffery. Just enough world class talent with you know Messi coming in and you know the Argentine Argentine Mukhtar that is, um, and then MLS After Dark weirdness. It's been everything I wanted it to be so far. Yeah. I'm having a blast. Yeah, it's been so much fun. Uh, I was worried that clubs weren't going to take it seriously. I've, I've kind of implied that a couple times already, yeah. but the fact that that for the most part clubs are. I am so excited for Nashville SC to play against a Liga Mekis club. Um, Toluca uh, again has has not necessarily been uh, making the grandest statement for becoming one of those grandes but uh i think they are still a, a really tough competition um within this within this beautiful mess that has been league's cup so far um so i i am absolutely loving it it's been great looking forward to more uh before we get out of here uh unprecedented um uh, situation down in atlanta huntsville supposed to play two nine as i and only i call them atlanta united two um Field issues meant they had to move it last minute to the training pitch, which meant it couldn't be broadcast. 
and so I think uh, our good friend Jason Longshore did uh, some sort of audio broadcast, like a webcast of some sort. Um, they made the most of it. Huntsville got a nice win, 4-2. They came from behind. Yeah. Um, first time I can recall that ever happening, uh, though, in Nashville SC adjacent history, a, a game that was supposed <laughs> to be seen, moved to a training pitch. Yeah. Uh, good for, for Huntsville for making the most of it. And it's, uh, I want to point out, when I uh, tweeted out the official roster for Nashville for the League's Cup included four Huntsville players, people lost their minds saying, oh, this is a sign that Nashville's not taking it seriously. Three of those players were in the starting lineup for Huntsville, and one of them came off the bench for Huntsville. So, while guys like Joey Desart, Azad Liotti are eligible to play for Nashville in the League's Cup, um, it's not a, a sign that they are going to, um, you know, automatically be on the Nashville SC bench or anything like that. They were not even in in the state of Tennessee on Sunday night, so it is something to keep in mind that you know they may come in and play uh, if if Nashville is is losing or is beating Toluca or uh, whatever whatever it may be but i think more likely um those are guys that are are filling out a roster and, and nashville's leaving a couple slots open hoping that one of them will be filled uh by sam surge soon enough you can add players to the league's cup official roster so i don't know why they even bother to publish them before the competition begins but yeah uh looking forward to hope uh, hopeful revelation of sam surge soon uh i think that would be um a difference maker obviously even just have him in the building have him in training uh, and a lot of times when you have deals that aren't quite over the line, the player will still obviously be able to come train if it's domestic, not able to happen here. Obviously, it's not like he's, you know, over there at training, hiding somewhere, just waiting to be revealed. Uh, but hopefully that's coming soon. Uh, final look inside a big birthday cake. If there's a big birthday cake around the training facility, people love to hide in those. What kind of birthday cakes would they eat in, in Nottingham? Or he's from like Southern England, I think, right? I guess that'd be like, a, I don't know, whatever gross English, cake. probably like cake made out of, uh, sausage patties or something i don't know english like marmalade uh if good friend yeah. of the show tony husband is listening who did a great job on the call last night you tell us what do you guys eat what are your <laughs> now we'll know if he listened an hour in biggie pudding he is a regular listener but this would be this would be a diehard situation if he's still on this <laughs> um final whistle i have a, a piece of content to re-recommend um pod bless nashville braden gall jamie holland uh, getting deep into the throes of the mayor's race, local politics, the council races at a very important time to be having those discussions. I've recommended the show before, but right now they're doing long form one on one interviews with every mayoral candidate who will agree to come on. And so far, they've had four of them. I think there may be a fifth coming, if I recall correctly. I might be wrong on that. I'm sorry if I am. Uh, oh, yes, there is. Heidi Campbell's going to be on soon. They've had several others. Look, at whatever you prefer whoever you prefer in the mayor's race is your call you know i i voted early i had a, a I, there are several candidates i like but regardless of who that is these long form conversations are a great way to get deep into the policy weeds into getting to know their uh, beyond their stump speeches and into the you know their real beliefs and stances on issues and while there are a lot of similar candidates i think it's helped me kind of draw some some lines within the broad strokes i'd previously drawn so uh, pod bless nashville good interviews substantive discussion uh, we need more of that and uh in nashville we have another good outlet for it uh, also the nashville banner is the written is not an actual companion to it but it's it, it's it should be your companion to uh, to read what's going on in these races it's been extraordinarily informative my content recommendation is something that is that is Fairly obvious to a lot of listeners, probably, and I can't believe it hasn't come up yet in this pod. That's the Women's World Cup. Um, obviously, I think most listeners are, are watching the U.S. women. 
I will admit I'm not staying up to like three and 4 a.m. To, to start these games live, but I've DVR'd and watched all of them, not just the U.S. And each of them is, has been uh, in its own way a, a thrilling game. We've seen potential upsets. We've seen actual uh, upsets. And it's something that's it's been really fun to watch. And it's uh, the women's game is, is obviously not uh, represented at the highest level in Nashville, but it's something that uh, we're hoping for in the future and, and getting a getting a look at somebody like Sophia Smith for the U S of course, and saying, Oh man, that sort of player can play in Nashville in the future. If we get uh, an NWSL team is like pretty awesome to think about. So um, check out the, not just the U S women's national team, but the entire FIFA women's world cup, 2023 next U S game, 8 PM on Wednesday. I'll put you on the spot. My recommendation last week was to pick a team. That's not the U S and follow them. You've obviously watched now, as you've said, every team that's played so far, what, which team have you enjoyed watching the most outside of the U S I've actually really liked Jamaica. They're led by a former Tennessee volunteer who unfortunately Woo-hoo! will be suspended. Uh, she got a red card in second half stoppage time. Oh. Um, Bunny Shaw or yeah, Khadija Shaw. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So um, unfortunately, um, I, I, as people know, during the men's world cup, I pull for CONCACAF teams at least to get out of the group and I'm doing the same. Um, Haiti had a, had a really tight loss uh, to open the, the competition as well. And it's been something that CONCACAF has, has, I think, feel like represented itself well even if they aren't getting the results so it's a growth a growth uh outlet for the for these teams yeah i mean jamaica drew france that's huge and bunny shaw is unbelievable absolute mm-hmm. talent um and i'm very proud of you not only did you have two michigan references but a tennessee reference before. i i made the tennessee you reference were, in this episode were, that's believe a it first or not. that is a first but it's not a last because you'll be forced to make the Tennessee <laughs> reference during the college football playoff meeting uh, when, <laughs> when Tennessee beats Michigan. Boy, I'm optimistic. Joe Milton getting it done against his former team. Um, thanks, guys, for listening. This has been great. Thanks to those who said hello at ML Rose and at the match uh, last night. Derek, Chris, again, feel like I'm meeting celebrities here, meeting folks who are, are so kind to us on a weekly basis. Um, ML Rose is the place to do that. It's a place to meet folks and say hi. Moon Taxi, of course, the music you want to listen to the end of this show at the beginning of this show and uh, whenever you're driving the matches uh rate review subscribe tell a friend follow us on twitter thanks to the 440 sports network tim let's get out of here peace